This is the Delivery Space podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change or transformation, we've got some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project delivery and bring you those insights and experiences that you don't get from a book. Welcome, it's Sharon and Nisha, and this is our episode on the human experience of leadership. Morning, Nisha. Hey, Sharon, how are you doing? Really good, thank you. Yourself? I'm good and ready to get cracking on this session with our guest, Jill. Hey, Jill, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me here. (laughs) It's going to be such a good session. I've been looking forward to this all week. So I'm going to tell our listeners a little bit about you. Jill was born and raised in Queensland, Australia. Jill has lived and worked in the UK for the last 10 years. She's delivered some of the largest web app and backend projects for the BBC and News UK, reaching over 35 million people around the world. Jill builds high-performing, self-organising teams by drawing upon her own personal journey from leading teams without authority and attention to mental health. She always puts people at the centre of anything that she does. She believes that everyone brings their own unique individuality and by empowering them, we all come together to create something truly remarkable. Jill, it's so cool to have you on and learn about your experiences. I know, I've been very, very excited about having this conversation. (laughs) Because you and I, whenever we do talk, we just go off on tangents. So very excited. Yeah, I remember being in touch with you about coming on the pod. And I think we we planned like a 20 minute chat, Sharon, and it went on. Um, yeah. We, yeah, I we think it was like an hour of different things. It was like an hour and a half later. We'd, we'd gone down a serious <laughs> rabbit hole of, of topics. Yeah, nice. it was good. It was a good, fun chat. Jill, I want you to share with our listeners the beginning of your journey, okay? We know you come from Queensland. We want to know how you ended up in the UK, so go for it. Um, So it's a very um, unusual, probably one of the more unusual stories uh, that people would tell. And it it basically starts back in 2010, um, where my, I, I had gone to university, I didn't finish any of the degrees I started um and I was now global financial crisis has hit I was just in Brisbane you know at working in retail um and and an insolvency firm just trying to make sure I was earning enough money and one of the people I went to um university with had moved to Boston in America out to Denver's and was marrying the woman that he'd met at university and me and my other friend who went to um university with him it was like the three of us uh were planning our trip overseas to not only go to his wedding but we had decided to travel the west coast of America before we obviously flew over to his wedding and um at that point in my life I wasn't very happy I I wasn't doing what I was thinking I wanted to do I was still kind of trying to figure all of that out um and I'd always said I'd go live in the UK I'd always said one like even when I was studying music I was like oh I'll go and do my master's in the UK at the Royal Academy of Music so I had always talked about going living overseas and like my mum was born there so I could get a British passport so that was all fine um and about nine months out from flying out to 
the wedding and to travel, you know, the West Coast of America, um, I decided, well, if I went to Boston, why don't I just fly across the pond and not come back? That was the thought process. So I spent a month researching it. I then called my mum after a month and told her about it. And then next thing you know, I was living with my brother to save money. And mum and I had agreed a pot of money I had to save before I went over. And even at one point, she was like, maybe maybe you should go to the wedding and that, come back and then save another year and, and then go over. And I went, nope, if I don't go now, it won't be ever. And I'll miss out on all these opportunities. And that's basically what I did was I went to America, traveled the States, went to my friend's wedding and then flew out <laughs> to London. And then, so I had all of June off and then landed here at the end of June. And then I had, was back to no money and went, okay, I really need to get a job. And my goal was to work for the BBC because the BBC internationally is just this world renowned news organization, mm -hmm. you know, best production company of, of TV shows and films. And I wanted to work in production and that's where I wanted to work. And when I first moved over here, I was immediately applying for jobs while trying to find a house or, or in a, you know, a little flat to live in. And um, within three weeks, I'd achieved it all. I had moved into a little flat in Hammersmith and I had gotten a job at the BBC. <laughs> um, but it wasn't Incredible. in what I wanted to do. It was, um, I was temping at first because I was doing some traveling with, with a friend who was there at the time. And um, I thought, oh, I'll just temp just to kind of earn some money and that way I have the flexibility. And my second placement to cover for just a day was to be a facilitator for two people who were visually impaired. And um, that day turned into two days and then that turned into a week. And then we decided to cut out the temp agency and then I just worked for them for six, eight months as a contractor. And then six months out from the first ever Digital Olympics, I got my first ever permanent role at the BBC. <laughs> in change management <laughs> and that's happy and I remember saying to mum like if I'd listened to you and gone back to, to Australia I wouldn't have done any of that and it wouldn't have happened and and that is basically how I ended up in the uh in the UK but as I said it was never in I never really cracked the production thing I did a lot of like BBC was great and then I did a lot of volunteering and that but I I ended up in tech in about three years four years after doing change management and a couple other things in tech I I started my journey as a project manager and that wow. is the story wow. a single thought Jill a yeah. single thought led to the birth of your career in change management in the UK wow yeah that's pretty can't, can't. cool it yeah it is as I said it's a very random uh unique uh journey and as I said like I, I knew no one here. I, I, you know, it was purely by the whim of like, oh, well, I said I would do this. Why didn't I just, how about I just, you know, convenience? I'm just already there. May as well just keep going. And yeah, I packed up my entire life in the space of nine months, said goodbye to all my family and got on that plane. And yeah, I think we're on year 11 I... now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> 11 years later. It must have been, it must have felt pretty daunting, but I guess it's that excitement was driving you because you this is something inside you that wanted to explore that wanted to see what was possible yeah and I again as I said I wasn't happy and I you kind of I think people will understand what I'm saying when you when you kind of just know that even though you don't know how it's going to end up but you can just feel that that is the right course of action and that was very much it for me where I went 
I knew I wanted to get into more creative fields or to be a part of something like that's the other thing like in in Australia to to get certain jobs or to be a part of something special you know there's there could be 10 jobs to 50 of you applying whereas in the UK like even if it's not so much um you know getting the actual job like you can go out and volunteer like the opportunities here is just so much greater than um in in Australia and I would have had to have moved anyway around Australia to probably be, have access to those opportunities anyway so and I was finding well as well a lot of people that I knew or I was researching had come overseas and done the experience overseas and then they'd taken that back with them and at one point I thought maybe that's what I could do I could go see how far I get when I'm ready you know come back and uh yeah I've, I've never really done the comeback bit <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's that's wonderful and a, an important point that you drew out there was that you didn't go in straight to the job that you were exactly mm. wanting because sometimes um, perhaps people at the beginning of their career or wanting to go down certain leadership paths might think, I have to get this exact thing. But you've explained that with your journey, you just kind of started in something else and you've slowly transitioned, which is you know, often the way it goes for all of us, isn't it, in reality? <laughs> yeah, and again, like I didn't even start in, in project management. The reason I got into project management was because in change management at the BBC, all the project teams had to come through us for, for quality control before we released out any code changes to, to the audience. And I was finding that, you know, when big projects launch, like the, the revision of iPlayer or, you know, BBC Live pages happening, um, or migrations of big pieces of work from, you know, legacy to, to something brand new. And I would find that, um, you know, there would be recognition, you know, to me, yes, on, on helping people deliver that. But ultimately, I was never actually a part of the actual delivery. I was really just there to, you know, support. Um, so for me, I that was kind of what made me decide to to maybe try project management again I was still wanting to get into production hell I'm still trying to to be in a creative field now I'd be lying if I you know didn't say that was where my real passions lied but what I did like about tech is that there is such a day-to-day -day vary on on what is going on and you know what issues arise um, particularly working in news like I, I moved to BBC World Service you know, we were working across at the, when I first joined 26 language sites and then we launched another 13. By the end, we had 46 language sites. And like that just was fascinating. And I'm a very curious person. And because it's so varied, um, it has kept me interested in in wanting to learn new things and understand how things work. And, you know, technology also is is on really driving the way on how we communicate and share information now and you know, to see where that's changing and going and to kind of even be at the forefront of it, um, of that change is, is exciting as well. So, you know, as much as there are, it may not ever be the job I wanted to do, it is definitely um, something that has kept me interested and is, you know, passionate about and allows me to do my interests as well. Like I, I get that balance to, to, to do it. Like mm. even in change management, my boss understood I was a creative person. And so whenever we had like big change freezes or big events coming on, he'd let me draw on our big whiteboard behind us and let me draw pictures or images that reflected things that were going on. So, or to run like quizzes and everything else. So I still got that, that 
chance to do all of that because it is also that type of environment we're in. We all want to be collaborative and have fun and and that's definitely something I, I really also enjoy about being in, in the tech industry. You you mentioned your, your boss there and the fact that you had support, right? You had support from your boss to be able to um to be able to exercise your creativity in whatever form you could exercise and still contribute to your environment. I think that is really important. What what do you believe are those key traits um, that, you know, truly um, can create that connection with those that you are leading, Jill? Because that's, that's I think, is really important to draw out. Yeah. So, you know, it it's quite um, interesting in that I didn't notice it so much very early on in my career. And I, I, I think it would be wrong of me to say I immediately just saw what was going on because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't notice it sometimes at first. And again, you're still learning, um, you know, and particularly when I was, I was 24, when I first started out, you're so evolved in yourself. And, you know, I was in, oh my God, all these new experiences. You don't realize the people around you and how much they're shaping and growing you to be yeah. a better person and a better, your own leader in effect. Um, and one of the things I, I found, particularly with my very first um, manager, was that he he seemed to understand that I, you know, I had my own way of doing things, and but he he knew how to approach me or to have the right conversations to help me, even in my own way, realize within myself like what I needed to do to to maybe change a bit or to grow a bit um and that was the the biggest thing like I remember my very first PDR that I ever had and probably is one of the very few that was actually really good (laughs) um and you know someone someone said in my feedback you know that Jill's really nice once you get to know her and I I know as an Australian like we are very to the point nation (laughs) Um, we're not rude in any way, but obviously when I came to the UK, I, I discovered very quickly that, um, my, my directness is, doesn't, doesn't quite equate to, to how that is perceived in, in the UK. It comes across as more abrupt and, and rude and, and, you know, attacking in a way when actually I'm really just talking about something because I'm like, look, this is the problem. We need to get this fixed, you know, but obviously, you know, people don't want it that sort of way. And, and I was aware of that. It's not like I wasn't aware of that. Um, but he having that said in my feedback, and then we talked about it a bit more like, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad conversation. It wasn't a a difficult conversation either. And I think that's the other thing. If you, if you can talk with your manager about, you know, certain things to a, a very deep level, then you have a very strong uh, relationship like even my manager now we literally talk every day so when we came to my PDR this year it was no different to any other conversation that we had because we talk about things continuously and and every day and and he even would put me on courses like I remember we had a colleague and she was we'd have meetings and we'd spend 55 minutes of that meeting talking about why we were having this meeting because and I'd be so frustrated because I couldn't understand why and I'd say to my boss, will you just talk to her before we have this meeting so I'm not wasting my time? Anyway, she went and did this course and it was like understanding how 
you react and when you're not stressed and when you when you are stressed and he then said oh this will be a really good course for you I think you'll find it interesting and I remember when I came back I looked at her and I said I totally understand you now (laughs) because and and actually that was even the initial start for me in you know in what I'm focusing on now, which is how we're all leaders and my leading from the middle and and everything. I was like, that that course was literally the start of it. And it was all because of him. It was because he could see that I wanted to learn and grow and understand. And, you know, he could see I had an open mind. I was open-minded enough to to be able to adapt and change as long as I was given the right tools. And he, he gave me those tools. Jill, what was unique about him? What was unique about the way... He was with you as opposed to other leaders who perhaps weren't in in tune with you to draw out um, your unique skills and what you wanted to do. I, I think the biggest thing is, is that he understood where I like. There's managers out there that want you to work the way that they work. There are managers out there that could be intimidated because you seem to come across as doing your job better than them and they find that threatening. Whereas he never saw it that way. He saw potential. And he also understood that, you know, if I just let Jill go, she will take care of it. And I've just got to just pull her in every now and then and, you know, make sure she she understands what really is and isn't okay. Um, mm-hmm. But he very much seemed to understand from the offset that how I wanted to work and he also understood that how I learned as well was very different to to other people I think as well um so he yeah he I think it's because he accepted me as that person and went this is who she is this is how she is going to work yes I need to do some maybe tidying on the ruffled ashes to to get her maybe a bit more into growth but he never approached me in a way or tried to or didn't even hold it against me if I did you know something wrong like if I did something wrong he mm. never held against me he, it's not like he pulled it out of my PDR like others have you know that happened eight months ago and I have learned from it and grown from it and then it's still pulled out in your PDR like a year later and you've gone but I haven't done it in a year so why are we still talking about it it's you know he he very much accepted me for who I was and went this is who she is I can see she can work great and I will just let her I'll let her do her thing and I will do what I need to do just to kind of slowly grow and evolve her to be to be the person that you know I know she can be that's such a great thing isn't it and sometimes I wish that more people could be like that. <laughs> I wish I could say I wish I could say that all of my managers have been great um and, and I'm not saying I haven't had some great managers but I've I've equally not uh, there's definitely a big part in the middle where I I haven't had um that great uh, of managers uh, so to speak so yeah it is but yeah I I think I felt really lucky that particularly in my first big important role you know in the industry I had someone very supportive and understanding as as he did yeah I can, I can well imagine Jill you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation leading from the middle and it would be great to hear some of your experiences uh, of leadership what that looks like and, and explain a bit about that journey for our listeners. Yeah so uh, you know so as I said earlier um, that course was kind of the initial starting to think about the leading from the middle even though that is not what I would have called it then I didn't even think of it as a actual thing I just saw it as 
oh, there's, you know, it just, I, I already kind of felt, I went, yeah, I know we all work differently. And, you know, particularly because of me, I would definitely get told that because I did stuff certain way or whatever wasn't right. And I'd be like, well, that's how I learn or that's how I think. And, you know, I felt never accepted. So it definitely was started off as my own selfish, like, well, how about I try and understand other people so that I can then figure out how to approach them better so that I'm not being accused or feel like help educate them so to speak. And then I got my first project manager role and it was a, a six month contract in world service to cover for someone. And that was my first time actually leading a development team. You know, I wasn't line managing, so I had to lead without any authority. Um, and I remember the first few days um, I went into that job and I was like, okay, I really need to step up here because I could all of a sudden feel, <laughs> you know, with these developers looking at me and I had a one or two women in the in there as well one of them was like a you know a trainee graduate you know literally coming out of you know was still in university was basically with us to to learn and I and you know was very much obviously I could just feel her looking at me going oh wow you're you're here and you know at that point there wasn't as many women in our team and um and I remember thinking oh I need to really step up to here and um and also I I'm someone who loves to drive change. Um, and again, because I, I think I understood already that I do things a certain way and I, I'm i not going to change myself and how I do things, but I want people to understand that, like, I say things with love and I, I want it for the right th reasons and I, you know, I want to come at it at the right way and, and make people come on that journey with me. And, and that's really where... Um, the leading from the middle kind of started to form a bit more. And then the BBC sent us on all of us, literally the whole company on unconscious bias training. And um, at that point I was starting to think to write about it. Cause I just thought, you know, I want people to understand how I think and that this is, you know, if they think about these things as well, maybe we could all it like work life would just be a lot easier. Um, and and I did, didn't write about for ages because I kept finding things that I was like, oh, well, this is also a factor, you know, like culture, you know, our upbringing, our mental health is impacted by that. Um, you know, the how we speak, like the amount of like I could I'd do a whole section on, you know, words I've said and people have taken me the entirely wrong way. And I've realized that how words that you in the UK used to what we say in Australia mean could be the same word and mean completely different things. And um <laughs> you know, and, and how we all learn differently. And I think my first development team definitely was the, the training ground as it were in me understanding how I wanted to lead and, and how, what matters to me, you know, and I definitely think of it as a, well, how do I want to be treated? Um, and, and also again, you know, I had a lot of people, I was doing all these things to me, amazing things. I was driving change. I was streamlining how we all work. I was making the delivery community, like we, us communicating better and, um, you know, and I had other people doing that with me. It wasn't just me doing all of that, but I got, always got frustrated when people would refer to leadership as, um, you know, high in management. And I remember the day I Googled what does leadership mean? Because <laughs> I wanted to understand um, the the difference in effect. I was like, well, are they leaders? Because there's managers. I'm sure we've seen people very high up and we've gone, they are not a good manager or they're not a good leader or they shouldn't be head of this department. And, mm -hmm. and when I realized that the word leadership didn't mean anything really related to managers, 
I got really annoyed. <laughs> and whenever people would talk to me about leadership, I would say, but I am a leader. I said, if I left tomorrow, my whole development team would follow me because they all told me if I ever went off and did my own thing, they would come and do it with me. And I thought, well, isn't that what leadership is? Isn't it that I've built them a safe environment and I've helped them grow in their roles? You know, I like my BBC team, I always got the trainees coming in and they'd be with us for a year and then they'd go back to university. And every year they would interview the the trainees to keep them on as a casual and only one would ever get to stay. And it was always my person, the person in my team. And it was because they went in not just showing that they could do the skill set of developing and code and understanding code and whatever was that requirements, but they were able to sit there and say, I've had difficult conversation in retrospectives. I've had to lead technical conversations and make sure we come out the outcomes. I've had to run stand-ups, which we've had to keep to a strict time frame. You know, they were able to show all these human soft skills or you know, human skills that we, I don't feel we were, we have been focusing on as much. And then I'd go to conferences and people would dance around that human element, you know, and, and, and it wasn't that I never learned anything from them. It wasn't that I didn't feel that what they were saying wasn't important. I definitely walked away from talks and I went, oh, well, that was an interesting thing that they talked about. But I'd still be annoyed because I'd just sit there and go, can we just talk about the fundamental fact that we are all human beings and that we all hmm. work our own way? Yes, some of it clashes with there are definitely people we just can't work with because how we approach things or how we think is different. But, you know, that's that's how, you know, if you can understand all of that, then life just does is, is easy. If you can understand how someone is is approaching stuff or understand that they're you know, the reason they're lashing out is just because their mental health isn't great. And yes, they shouldn't lash out. And you need to have that conversation to help them understand that that's probably their limit. But I'm still just like, you can factor that in when you are talking to them and you can approach that conversation differently and still achieve what you want to achieve. And so that's really where it'll happen. I remember when I became a program manager, someone said, oh, now that you're a leader. And I went, no. <laughs> I said, I have always been a leader. I have been leading these teams for so long. I'm still doing the exact same thing. It's just on a wider scale. Like I literally just, I just won't have it because we all influence each other. We're all trying to drive to the same thing. And so it, what started out was me just wanting to write an article, which I eventually did in lockdown because we were all at home and what else was I going to do? <laughs> um, and then it, it's evolved. So I then did a, a talk on it at Silicon Roundabout last year. I, I'm hoping to do more this year. And I, I now built out this whole course on it, which I never thought I would. But it like we start at understanding our unconscious bias and then talk about language and, you know, how we all learn differently. So learning and then, you know, our mental health. And then um, we get into self-awareness because, again, you've got to be aware of all of those things to try and grow. Like it's not just understanding them on the other side of, of the river, so to speak. It's understanding yourself so that you can be open and adaptable to all of that. And then the final thing is is the building of bridges because what started out as a, as a joke when I was uh, at the BBC um, we were talking, I was trying to do something with one of my teams. I can't remember what it was, but someone said to me, Jill, why are you trying to, why are you doing so much effort? You should just tell them to do it. Right. And, and I, out of nowhere, just turned around and said, listen, if you want people to join you on the other side of the river, you've got to build a bridge to help them cross. You just can't expect them to jump in and swim. And that then became like the slogan <laughs> because I, 
it was the only way I could explain why leaders put in just as much work as people you know that you're trying to bring with them and and the reason you build a bridge is to meet in the middle like you are and the reason we say leading for middle is not just because you meet in the middle to to achieve what you want because it requires both sides to to do the work but you know you are leading people below you you're leading people who are at your level and trying to influence them to change and and then there's your managers and the managers managers of people wanting to like particularly in delivery like they're going well when's this going to be delivered and then you're having to influence <laughs> uh, without any real authority at all <laughs> in saying well yeah. you know we need you say you want this date yes we could do this date but we won't then be able to do and you're trying to then find that compromise to to still make everyone happy but you're protecting your development team who obviously are feeling that pressure but you're trying to keep the stakeholders happy and and that's really where leading from the middle comes from and and why I think it's such a a important thing and I think where you find good leaders no matter what role they're in you you will find them because they just seem to have that human empathy and an element and understanding that we're all different we're all unique and and we take all of that into consideration to then work together to to achieve what we we set out to do i think oh. <laughs> oh go ahead nisha <laughs> we've got so much stuff going on in our heads i can tell sharon and i you you've you started off a load of buzzing um thoughts my my thought is that just to summarize um how i felt joe when you were explaining that yeah. is is the fact that there's a there's a there's maybe a misconception out there that um the middle layer of leaders managers whatever you want to call them are a layer that's either stuck in their ways or um used to a certain way of operating used to wear a certain way of relating to their teams when actually, if we change that thought, if we change that uh, bias towards the, that older way of thinking, we can shift it towards middle middle level leaders, managers, those that are entrusted with serving teams to be able to be those that can empower and also influence leaders that are yes above them within the organization but also teams that they are responsible to serve and I think um, with the work that you are doing it's it's going to start changing that dialogue and that perception around that middle layer that exists they are the ones that can really empower rather than the ones that can hold back change and I and I definitely think that um so you're absolutely right and I I definitely think um particularly to project managers or scrum masters who are who are running development teams like one of my yeah. true beliefs is is that that's where you start <clears throat> because as much as yes you're trying to already change what's already there my the reason I like one of the reasons I I'm strongly for building high performing self organizing teams is because you are giving them the skill set so that when they leave that safe environment, in effect, because they're in that group of people every day. And if they can mm. learn how to hone in those, all of those skills and understanding people and having those conversations and reading how people are feeling and that, when they do have to step up and start doing it on a wider scale, you know, they, they've already developed those. And I even think for, for project managers, scrum masters, myself, like to me, having my development teams was also my training ground. Like that's where... You know, I definitely, I suffer from anxiety. So when I'd have to go in and run retros or, 
you know, have to have difficult conversations because, you know, they hadn't done something I wanted them to have done in a, in a time frame that I'd clearly set, you know, I found that all really difficult, but I've, you know, now I'm, I'm at a higher level where I'm running, you know, two day events with 130 people. And, and even though that's still really stressful, I still go back to what I did in, in those teams. And, and so I think particularly with anyone who, who is even just starting out, like, even though you're in that little team, you may not feel like you're a part of the big world. Like you, you will be a part of that big world. You will grow into that big world. And using that time in that team is the best space to, to learn how to really understand yourself and how you work and, and how the person you want to be, so to speak. Absolutely. And I Go think for it, Sharon. in, in any, I was just going to say in any role that we do, um, you know, there's an element of influencing people. So you can't disconnect from the human psychology and understanding how people function. Like you said, it's the foundation of leadership. So to me, like you said, you can always spot those good leaders and they're the ones who take the time to understand human behaviour, human interaction. It's critical, really, for me um, in influencing. You can't just separate it out and say, oh, just tell them what to do and get on with it. <laughs> work yeah my my teams uh and I thought I, it was my my teams at the BBC and then I thought I'd escaped it and then I had people at UTK say the same thing they're like Jill you are the mum and the dad of the team they're like you are so loving and nurturing and you take care of us and you listen and you really help us when we need you and they said but man when we do something wrong you let us know about it <laughs> and that's that's the other thing and particularly in delivery like delivery is all about people you know, you're dealing with other project managers for dependency, you know, and, you know, they could be a difficult team or what they're working on is very complicated. And, you know, how you then present that information back to the business, you don't want to be passive aggressive, you don't want to like point the blame. And, you know, so I think like particularly for, for us in delivery, it's it's such a fundamental skill to, to have in working with people because majority of our job is talking to people and to, to align everything that we we need to do. So, Jill, we're at that point when we ask uh, our guests for the key takeaways from the conversation. So please share what would be your um, key takeaway on the topic. <laughs> that is so hard to answer. Because <laughs> um, it's such a big thing, you know, with with the human with understanding up just humans you know that first and foremost we we are humans and so I always think that um particularly for for people um <clears throat> you know and and particularly if you're starting out or, or even if you haven't started out if it's something you've just decided that you want to you want to you know go on that journey and and make that change or you know you're curious and you want to evolve is you know to to take the time you know it is it is a big thing like even I'm still still learning um as I go and and I would even say it's okay to fail at it like as you heard there are many many things within this um which is why it took me so long to write about it or even do anything with it because I kept finding things that I went oh but that's a part of it as well and oh that's a part of it as well and I just think that um you know it's okay if you miss something you know, be, just acknowledge it. Like you, I've had conversations with people 
and I've been really frustrated about something and then someone will go, yeah, but what about this? And then I'll kick myself and I go, oh, if I thought about everything else except for that thing, which is the thing that's probably factoring into why this is being difficult. So, you know, just take your time with it, you know, be patient um, and not just do the work and understand people, but really focus on yourself. Like I started all of this by focusing on myself and, and understanding me as a person and understanding what I was capable of and what I, my weaknesses were so that I knew if I had to have the other people around to kind of help balance me out a bit. So, and I, I rely on those people still today to, to, you know, if I could tell something's bothering me or I'm struggling, I will talk to those people because I know that they will have some insight or they're just stronger in something else that I'm not in that will help me kind of understand that sort of thing of it. And, you know, also be the person that you would want to be following. You know, like there are people I've, you know, whether I've had fallings out with them or or people I've really, really respected, even if it's been my fault, if I've fallen out with them, like I, I still greatly respect them because I've learned something from them. You know what I mean? They've helped me understand where my breaking point is. So I really think, you know, as much as you are trying to understand other people, really take the time to understand yourself, because if you can understand yourself and you also know where your lines are drawn on what you're willing to compromise about yourself, what you're willing to change about yourself, um, that definitely makes life a lot easier. So I think that would be like the big takeaway is really just, or takeaways in all of that is, you know, take your time, be patient and, and really understand who you are as a person because that definitely sets the big foundations for then understanding other people. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Nisha, how about you? Oh, first of all, Jill, your journey has brought you a ton of self-knowledge that you continue to give um, and share with your teams. I know this. Um, so um, it's, it's a pleasure, first of all, to speak with you. But also, um, it's our chat this morning is bringing it home to me that it's all about how you treat people. If you're yes. treating people with a level of kindness, if you're coming at it from a values base that's deeply rooted inside you, if you're illustrating those behaviors that you would like to be led by when you are led, um, and if you're watching the types of things that you're saying um, to build that team, to build that trust, to build that cohesion, those are the things that matter. Um, also, being patient with yourself, because yes, we're all human. We're not infallible. We're going to make mistakes. Uh, we're going to say things and do things that perhaps we may feel are not um, in that vein. So, yeah, absolutely. But but overriding is to kind of um, have that respect for, you know, for human interactions and the fact that we're all here to do a good job within the delivery space. And um, we like to we like to do work that matters. Sharon, what are yours? Oh, so I echo what both of you have said there, that it's, you know, be aspire to be the leader that you would want, um, you know, that aspire to be the leader that you would like to lead you. And it's about being kind and empathetic and understanding that you can't disconnect from the human psychology. Um, everything that we do requires us to have some interaction with other human beings. So we need to understand uh, that aspect of it in order to be really effective in our jobs. 
So I think that's what I'm taking away from this. Thanks so much for sharing the love today, Jill. Absolutely. We're sharing the love on a Sunday morning. Can't get better than that. No. Jill, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to speak to you, they want to understand more about the courses and the work that you're putting together, how do they reach out to you? Um, I would start with uh, just finding me on LinkedIn because um, uh, that's where I'm at at the moment. Uh, I'm, I'm in, as I said, I'm in the middle of, um, I know I said this ages ago to Anisha and was like, yeah, this will be done by March. I'm still working on it. Um, is is my leading from the middle course that I want to get out. Um, I, I really just am very passionate about it. So um, I would just look on LinkedIn and, and hopefully once it's out there and everything, you'll you'll find all the other ways to to get in touch with me. So, um, but yeah, just send me a message on DM or, you know, just write a comment somewhere. I'll be, I'll, I, I really do enjoy talking about this stuff. So yeah. I, we can tell Jill, we can tell this. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. I talk to people about like my, my job and you know, you know, I'm quite engaged with it. And then as soon as I get to something like this, they're like, man, you're so passionate about it. I, go, I just, I just, I'm, I want to make that impact and, and you know, if this is what it is, and and to help I like I love helping people like I I love coaching and mentoring people and 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 all of that sort of stuff and so for me this is just all part of part of that really is to feed into helping people I love that Uh, stay in touch with us Jill we want to know how this course goes okay will do Thank you for joining us on the delivery space today. Please follow us on our social media platforms to stay in touch and keep up with our updates. Bye for now. Bye.